0: How many of you have ever sung in a choir or played an instrument in a band at any point in your life? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't be afraid, raise it really high. All right, Zab, look around. This is your pool of people to choose from for (laughs) gathering a choir. And I expect all of you who raised your hands to make sure that on August 4th, Sunday, August 4th, you join us for Loco Pops in the Lounge as we welcome Zeb and his family and for you to be able to tell him of your singing exploits or your band-playing ones. If you've ever participated in making music as a group you know the value and importance of having all the parts sung or played at the proper levels of volume in comparison with the others. If one part is too loud or has the wrong emphasis, the music you are making simply won't sound quite right. This is especially the case if the harmony part sings or plays so loudly that the melody part is drowned out. Yet without the harmony part, the song is not everything that it can or should be. So the harmony must be sung as well in proper balance. At times as God's people, we act like the melody parts of God's story are all that matter. And what's more, at times we confuse the melody with the harmony and the harmony with the melody. When this is the case, we need a skilled conductor to help us adjust the dynamics of our music so that the song of God's story can be shared in its fullness for all that it should be. At times the biblical authors act as the skilled conductors for the people to whom they write. And when compiled together, both in their harmony and in their dissonance with one another, the scriptural writers help shape the song of our life and faith for us. As you know from our study of Ezekiel throughout the summer, this book lifts up the part of the story, the part of the song that focuses on God. Ezekiel is an utterly theocentric that is, God-centered book. Ezekiel consistently emphasizes God's decisions, God's action, God's holiness, God's freedom, God's will, and God's power. Of course, as we talked about last week, Ezekiel believes people have a part to play, even a responsibility in the story of God and God's people. But this part does not impede the fact that in the end, God's will and God's way are the final word. For Ezekiel, God is absolutely sovereign. That is to say, God is absolutely in power and control. And God is shaping the course of human history for God's own purposes. When it comes to the song of life and faith, our text from Ezekiel adjusts the balance on the song we often hear. In our reading, Ezekiel continues to shift the focus to what he believes is the whole point of the song. As Ezekiel proclaims the word of the Lord, he directs the people's attention to the melody, to the main thing, to the principal part of the song of relationship between God and God's people chapter 20 begins with the elders of Israel coming to Ezekiel because they want to consult with God. Apparently the elders have perceived and started picking up on over the course of time that Ezekiel has a special connection to the Lord. Knowing the reality of their situation in exile they are ready for a consultation with God. Perhaps these elders are hoping for a word from the Lord that will tell them the situation they are in is about to turn for the better. Perhaps they're hoping that the Lord will intervene on their behalf in the immediate and present time. But whatever it is that they want from God, God is not at all interested in meeting with them. Instead, God uses the opportunity to refocus the elders' attention by helping them remember the broken history of God with God's people that has landed them in their present situation. Ezekiel reminds the people of God's faithfulness and of the people's perpetual unfaithfulness. According to Ezekiel, from the beginning of their relationship, the people have blown it. God promised the people in Egypt that God would bring them out of Egypt into a most glorious of lands. Egypt was a place of enslavement and bondage for the people, and the land that God promised was going to be a place of blessing and freedom. In order to enjoy this land of blessing and freedom, God told the people to turn from their idols and to turn toward God. Yet according to Ezekiel, even while in Egypt they didn't turn from the things that God commanded them to. From the earliest days of their relationship, the people failed to uphold their side. And this was troubling, even enraging to God. In choosing the people of Israel, God had decided that God would be known in and through relationship to these particular people. God's future was going to be tied up with the people of Israel. And before they even had a chance to flourish, they failed. Lifting up the story of the failure of God's people is not actually where Ezekiel helps us hear the song of God differently. Many biblical authors and the prophets of the time do the same. Where Ezekiel tunes our ears differently is in what comes next. The Lord says, Then I thought I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of Egypt. Ezekiel helps the elders and the people of Israel hear the part of the story that reminds them that it is finally all about God. God says, I acted for the sake of my name. Where other prophets like Jeremiah highlight God's mercy toward the people in withholding punishment, Ezekiel highlights God's own self interest. By doing this, Ezekiel lifts up a part of the song that emphasizes that God is at the center of the story instead of humankind. Some of this is no doubt hard for us to hear. At least it's hard for me to hear. I bristle at the repeated refrain throughout chapter 20 that the Lord acts for the Lord's namesake. In verses 9, 14, which we read both of those, and then again in 22 and 44, we hear this same reason for God dealing with the people the way that God does. God responds to the people's actions either withholding judgment or then restoring them after God does judge them, not primarily because of God's care for the people, but for the sake of God's own name. I don't know about you, but this makes me stiffen up a little. It sounds a little too much like God is only concerned about God's reputation and maybe even that God is simply self-centered. Yet perhaps my, and potentially our, bristling at this is related to our being accustomed to the song of life and faith being sung without all of the parts, or with some of the parts just turned up too loudly. Maybe the music we've been hearing is less than it actually should be. Perhaps part of the problem is we've too often confused the harmony part, the part that's focused on humanity, with the melody part, the part that's focused on God. So we don't know the true beauty of the song rightly sung. Ezekiel is trying to help us hear the song for what it really can be. From the beginning of creation, God decided not to exist without humankind. God decided to be known in and through God's dealings with people. And in God's covenant with the people of Israel, God decided that God would be known to all the world in and through relationship with these people in particular. God's name, that which tells us who God is, is bound up with these particular people. God is hallowed, honored, glorified, lifted up when the people of the world can see who God really is. And God is profaned, defiled, brought low, made common like any other would be God when the people of the world cannot see God properly. So whether the people of Israel are acting badly or whether they are in exile and their land is in ruins because of their wrongdoing, God is implicated. And humanity's knowledge and understanding of God's character is ultimately at stake. Ezekiel makes it clear that this matters greatly to God. God wants to be known for who God really is because after all, God is the principal part. God is the melody and the song. This is as true for us as it was for Ezekiel's audience. God has not stopped being the principal part of the song. God being lifted up, hallowed, glorified, and placed at the center continues to be the chief end and goal of our human life. In the fullness of time, God decided to demonstrate this in Jesus, the fully human and fully divine one. Jesus is the one who Philippians 2 tells us was in the form of God and yet did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, humbled himself, and was obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus came and revealed that God so thoroughly is at the center, that he, Jesus, gave his life for God and God's purposes. In hallowing God's name in this way, Jesus was given the name that's above every name, a name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord as those who confess that Jesus is Lord, we must tune our ears and hearts to the song and melody that our Lord has taught us. So what happens when we start hearing the song of life and faith in proper balance with the real melody emphasized? How might this adjustment impact us as we live in the world. I want to suggest just two ways this morning, though there are surely many more. First, and this might be simple, we are reminded that with God as the principal part, we cannot be. To say it another way, this life is not all about you or me. It's about God. If we've gotten confused about this, it's really no surprise. The whole of the world around us helps us think differently than what Ezekiel is teaching us and what our Lord has taught us. It helps us to think that we ourselves are at the center you need not listen too closely to ads on the radio or television to hear it. From the food we consume to the eye products we use, we are encouraged to think that the I, the individual who is me, is at the center. The song of life the world teaches has me as the key melody and the harmony and the lyrics. I think the country music song that's written by artist Toby Keith or sung by artist Toby Keith, I Want to Talk About Me, sums it up quite well. Let me read to you the lyrics of the refrain. I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I want, what I know, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 you usually, but occasionally. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. We are so regularly bombarded by messages around us that say we should be the center. So when Ezekiel comes along and reminds us life is really all about God anyway, it's slightly a challenge for us to hear. But there's a great gift for us in this. You see, when you realize that you are not at the center of you, of your or any other universe, and that you are not the center of the story of life and faith, you can experience a deep freedom. You may experience and know the freedom from the bondage of living for yourself. You may be set free from the pressure of directing your own future and the demand of being the captain of your own life. You may be set free toward the goal for which you were finally created, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. You may be set free for life and for life abundantly. Ezekiel's message that turns up the melody will impact how we live in the world in another way as well. Ezekiel emphasized that God is known by the nations by the way the people are in relationship with God. God's reputation is on the line in the people's actions because God has been God has chosen to be known in and through God's people and through Jesus God has chosen to be known in and through the church. That means how we are in relationship with God and how we live matters for the sake of God's reputation in the world. How we live matters for the sake of God being known for who God really is. How many times have we heard stories of people leaving the church? We're encountering some barriers to faith because of the way Christians have behaved. Maybe you've thought about leaving the church or even left for a time because of that very thing. We can easily call to mind the egregious offenses by the leaders of the church. And I'm sure we can even summon up images of those Christians we think give Christ a bad name. Yet leaders and those other Christians are not the only ones whose lives speak to who God really is. Every day, our lives give testimony. They give testimony that says something about the God whom we serve. So what do our lives say? I wonder if Jesus' name is exalted and glorified in us. I suspect that if we started acting like God's reputation, Jesus' name was on the line because of how we live in the world, we would take Paul's admonition to to the Philippians to heart in a different kind of way. So I'll offer to you Paul's words as a concluding word this morning. They offer a way to have your life sing with the proper melody emphasized. And they offer a way to have your life sing in in recognition that Christ's name is at stake in how we live. So as we seek to live for the sake of God's name instead of our own, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you, let each of us not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. To the glory of God the Father. Amen.